0: Well, um, you know we kicked off a series last week called, A Church Why Bother? And we're kind of talking through, in the season where so many are opting out of church, why choose Jesus and why choose uh, church? And last week we talked about one of the big reasons was uh, for spiritual family. But I told you throughout the series, I want you to hear two testimonies. First, the testimony of scripture, we'll look at God's word in a moment, but from people as well. And today I want to invite back up to the stage, uh, Pastor Joe Crabb. Um, how many appreciate Joe? <laughs> but Joe is a phenomenal uh, leader and member of our team, but I realized that with so many of our team members, so often you know the what of their job, the role that they play, but you may not know the why, why they've chosen Jesus, why they've chosen to serve the church, why they've chosen church, again, in a season where so many have opt out. And so often, it's because of God's love and grace, even and in spite of the tragedy we've gone through. And so I asked Joe if he'd be willing to share just a little bit yeah. of his story. Yeah. Joe. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I've had
1: the privilege of calling Woodside my home uh, since I was 10 years old. Uh, so I have been here for 27 years about 27 years ago my dad began looking for a church home got drawn to this place and that it was the the warmth and kindness of people here and particularly uh, Jim Gresham uh, one of our our, our elders uh, and just a foundational member here who just welcomed my dad in gave him that sense of belonging and next thing you know we uh, we planted down roots here and have been here ever since uh, but as pastor Chris alluded to my my story is not absent of tragedy uh, I was actually 15 50- 15 years ago this past December uh, that my dad passed away uh, of a heart attack. Uh, I was at home with him when it had occurred. I, I had the blessing opportunity to resuscitate him in the home, uh, which ultimately led to him being in ICU. Uh, and he was in ICU for 11 days before finally passing. Uh, and there are two moments in particular that stick out to me during our time those eleven days in the ICU, in which you really do feel that that church family uh, and the truth of Scripture of us bearing with one another uh, that knowing that my brothers and sisters were praying for us as you felt that peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus, those two instances were one. Um, it seemed there was one night midway through that my dad wasn't going to make it through to the morning, uh, and in that moment you know texts got sent out and within probably an hour or two. Uh, the ICU lobby at Troy Beaumont, which if you've sadly ever had to be there, is not very big, Uh, was filled with over 100 or so brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Just gathered together for encouragement, for prayer, um, and to be a comfort with their presence. Uh, The other one was there is a night, and it was clear that my mom Needed to go home. Uh, she obviously had been camped out there every night. And she needed to go home, but kind of didn't want to go home because she didn't want her husband and my father uh, to be alone. And so there was a guy member of our church. His name was Keith Murray, and he just said, "Debbie, I'll stay." And for for that reason to be a comfort and encouragement, he just stayed up through the night next to my dad. So my dad didn't have to be alone. So, man, you talk about church family. Yeah, That's church family right there.
0: Yeah. yeah. First off, Joe, thank you for just sharing from your heart. Yeah. Um, you know, when I listen to your story, I think about how many people have gone through uh, hurt yeah. or pain or tragedy. And we all know that that can lead us one or two directions. And for a lot of people, instead of running to God, Bitterness, anger, disappointment, resentment sets in, and they run from God. They yeah. run from church. So, I want you, if you could, for a moment, what yeah. would you say to a person who maybe is angry? God, why did you let this happen? Um, thinking about opting out of church or, yeah. or just running from God. What would you say yeah. to them?
1: yeah three three things one i'd say i understand that pain and that frustration the the questions of man there's a hundred people gathered here why don't you answer the prayer and sustain life and where god has, has showed it to me is who am i uh to to doubt that my father wouldn't wouldn't be okay with the fact if his life led to one more person being drawn closer to christ that that is a life worth spent well spent yeah. uh, which is true um The other is running to the church, you really get to experience all the more grace and redemption. Uh, I experienced God's grace just a few weeks after my dad had passed when uh, in the lobby here, uh, Tom Bagwell, one of our our members here, I'm friends with his son Drew, stopped me. And I didn't know Tom's story. Uh, You you pass each other, but we don't often get to know each other. Uh, And he shared with me about how his dad had passed away when he was young. And just shared with me, hey, you are not alone. You will experience God's grace all the more and you will experience God's redemption through it. And really, that's the other reason why I'm running to the church, is that through your own pain, you ultimately get to see God redeem it um, as he uses it to draw you closer to him and as he uses it in the life of others. I'm so grateful for the many spiritual fathers that God has placed in my life, um, whether in big ways or small ways, from Sam Rafa to Mike Upton to Pastor Doug, um, but to experience God's redemption through being able to be a spiritual father to yeah. others, to sit across from kids and students and the like. Um, not not fully maybe identifying with their, their tragedy, but being acquainted with grief as our yes. Savior is, just to be re- able to remind them um, as Christ works in and through us of the comfort that's found in Jesus. Um, sometimes the best thing we can do is just remind somebody that they are loved and they are not alone. And so in that way, I get to experience God's redemption, yeah. and that pain gets well put in perspective when you get to be a comfort to other people.
0: So, well, you blessing, man. Yeah. Thank, yeah. You, thank you, thank Joe. You. Appreciate, Appreciate you. 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 Appreciate you. Um, when when I say we're a spiritual family, I, I pray that that's what we would experience. I, I realize the church is not a perfect place, but I pray that in your moments of tragedy, that you would know that you are loved, that you are seen by God, and that that love will be experienced through the church family. But but how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we are? that type of people, those types of people that put others before ourselves. Let's be honest, um, our natural disposition is to be selfish. How many can admit that, that our natural disposition is to be selfish? And uh, some of you are raising your hands, and those of you who are not, it's because you're selfish. Um, The reality is is that 100% of us uh, tend to think about ourselves before others. But how do we get to the place where that's reverse, where we become others-centered or, or even God-centered? I, I think the answer is the gospel. Something transformational has to happen in us, and I suggest it's an encounter—a real encounter with Jesus and the gospel. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the importance of holding on to the gospel. But I want to start by sharing a moment I had this week. It was a—it was actually a pretty cool moment. One of the cool things about Facebook, if you're you're on Facebook, and I know there's a lot of uh, bad things, but one of the good things is uh, occasionally when you open up the app it will bring up one of those memory posts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Posts that you did a while back? Well this week one day I opened up my Facebook app and it brought up a memory post of my first Sunday here at Woodside and standing on stage was Doug Schmidt standing next to me as he was announcing me and I kid you not I was 25 pounds lighter I was looking great but we'll talk about that in another sermon. But um, it caused me to remember the conversations that me and Doug were having during that time. And I remember asking Pastor Doug, uh, out of all the things you, you want me to know about this great church, what's most important to your heart? And he said to me then, and he's continued to say to me, and at times we even spend together uh, now, is be careful of drift. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And His response to that was, this church was built upon the word of God. It's a testimony of Jesus that has held this church together and allowed it to grow. And the tendency of churches, the tendency of people, if we're not careful, is to drift away from the gospel. And so his admonishment to me, his encouragement to me was, be careful of drift, And today I wanna just talk to you about that, to be careful to never drift away from the gospel. Because if you were to ask me, what is the key ingredient that makes a church a church? What is the key ingredient to flourishing as a church? What's the key ingredient to growing as a Christian, to actually living a life that matters and has an impact? My answer to you would be the gospel. It is knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing that enough to allow his words to rule and reign in your life. To actually allow the teachings of Christ to be the basis of your life, as Peter said. To believe that his words are the words of life and to believe that in him we have salvation. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, and I want you to join me there, 1 Timothy chapter one. Uh, we see Paul writing to Timothy and his basic message to him. My big idea today for us would say, if we're gonna be the type of spiritual family that loves one another deeply, if we're gonna be the type of people that have an impact for Jesus, if we're, if we're really gonna be different, Hold on to the gospel. As a matter of fact, that's my big idea. Hold fast to the gospel. And there's three reasons why. Let's pick up in verse number three, pause first. He says this, I urged you, When I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just before the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. You know, Paul was a missionary at heart. If you know anything about his ministry, you know that when God called Paul the way he wanted him to serve him. And we all serve God in unique and different ways. But Paul's way of serving God was to go on missionary journeys and start churches where there were none, to preach the gospel where it had not yet been preached. And so he went on three of those missionary journeys, and each one was either to start churches or to go back to the churches he had started to strengthen and encourage them. It was on his second missionary journey where he visited a city, an ancient city and what we would call today Turkey, uh, to start a church called Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians church. You got a letter in your New Testament to that church called Ephesians. You can read about Paul's time there if you go to Acts 18 through 20 in your own leisure. But Paul, having started that church, recognized that it's not enough to start a church. Every church needs to be strengthened. Every church goes through seasons where where it needs to be built up. The gospel needs to be reinforced. Elders and spiritual leadership needs to be uh, trained up. And so Paul, in verse number three, says, I urge you, Timothy, when I told you to remain in Ephesus, when I sent you to Ephesus, I gave you a charge. And what was the charge? The charge, in essence, was to hold on to the gospel because Paul had heard that there were false teachers who had snuck in and began to teach a different doctrine. Folks, I just want to say this, that when the gospel is lost, the power is lost that when uh, your preacher turns into a self-help guru, when all you hear from the sermons are uh, pop psychology, social science, cool cliches, then the church has lost its power. Its power to do what? Its power to live out verse number five. What does verse number five say? It really is the key ingredient to what we heard in Joe's testimony. Paul says it simply. The aim of our charge is love. It's a love that is a transformational love. All of this, all of this leads to a love that is powerful enough to bring healing and tragedy. All of this leads to a love that is sacrificial, a love that is so strong that it bonds you and me together even though we may have come from two different families, even though we may have different last names, different heritage, different skin color, different ethnicity, what holds us together is the common love we have in Christ. We are brothers and sisters and spiritual family, not by blood which is weak, but by the spirit which is strong. Not temporal, I'm a Brooks for a few years on earth, but I am in Christ forever and ever and ever. How many thank God for the eternal bond of the Holy Spirit? What type of love is is this? Paul doesn't give us the uh, vagueness of you defining love. If you were to go around the room, or you were to take a poll, man on the street style, and say, what is love, define it for me, you probably get a thousand different definitions from a thousand different people. But Paul says, let me tell you what type of love it is. It is love that issues from a pure heart. Now where do I go for a pure heart? How do I get a pure heart? Because my heart certainly is not pure by by nature. I, I need Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is that flow that makes me white as snow? How many thank God for his blood that cleanses our hearts and gives us a pure heart? If there is anything that I do from a pure heart, it's because of Christ who lives in me. It's because I had an encounter with a king Whose work of grace was greater than my sin? Not only does his love come from a pure heart, but from a good conscience. Man, our consciences are not good. Our natural disposition is to think of things, and uh, those things are typically not good. Have you ever uh, played out this scenario before? What if Christ allowed your thoughts to be put on a big screen before everybody to see? How many think that's the most frightening thought ever? What you don't want to see are uh, a live tweet stream of everything I'm thinking. Don't tune into that right? And how many thank God for filters in your life? How many thank God for that, right? Uh, Don't keep it real. Keep it holy, please, for the rest of us. Do not keep it real. The fact of the matter is, is that if we're going to have a good conscience— It's going to come because of an encounter with Christ. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that it's through Christ that our minds are renewed. It's a renewal of the conscience comes from God and his work in Christ and through his word. And then he goes on and gives us a third one, a sincere faith. This is what it's all about. We got to hold on to the gospel so that this uh, sincere faith and love can continue to spread, that the gospel can continue to produce a sincere faith and love in us. And if we're going to have a sincere faith, it's because of Jesus. All of it points back to Jesus, the love that we need to overcome the vitriol And the hate that's in the world is because of Jesus. Now, here is what I believe. What I believe is that people are looking for verse number five. Don't you ever forget that. No matter how angry the world gets, no matter how tense things get, no matter how much vitriol or division is in our culture, what people are looking for are not groups of of religious people that just reflect the same divisions of the world. What they're looking for is a love that is powerful enough to reconcile us to one another. How can we tell a world be reconciled to God if we can't demonstrate how God's love can reconcile us to one another. And so Paul, as he so masterfully does, doesn't just give the charge, but he shows us what happens when we don't follow the charge. Look at verse number six. What happens when we don't hold on to faith? Well, certain persons, he refers to them as He'll tell us who these certain persons are later. He says, by swerving from these or swerving from the gospel, have wandered away into vain discussions. It's this pride of thinking you're deep when you're not. Have you ever met somebody who thinks they're deep and they're not? They think they're intelligent, they're making up fancy words, and you're looking and saying, you just said a whole lot of fancy words that amount to a hill of beans. Like, none of that makes sense. Have you ever met somebody like that? Don't raise your hand and please don't look to the side. (laughs) But not only were they in pride, this pride expressed itself in arrogance. Verse number seven, desiring to be teachers of the law. They got so puffed up that they said, I'm smarter than the gospel and I can prove it. I'm going to get my own YouTube page and I'm going to teach some newfangled thing, some innovative thing. Then he goes on to say, that these foolish people are ignorant because they're without understanding either what they're saying, they don't even understand the stuff they're talking about, or the things by which they make confident assertions. Here's what Paul is saying in the nutshell, and I need to drive this home. Please understand this. Paul is liberating and freeing, not just Timothy, but every single one of us who are called to preach the word that you don't have to be inventive. You don't have to be creative. You don't even have to be dynamic. There is so much pressure that is put on those who preach the word of God, in particular in this generation. And I wish for a moment I had a room full of aspiring teachers of the word of God, and I would say to those men and women, just teach the gospel. Just teach the gospel. The more inventive you become, the more dangerous you become. The more pressure you feel to be creative or dynamic, the more you end up endangering not just your own soul, but the souls of those who God has entrusted to your care. He says in verse number four, don't give yourself to speculation, rather to the stewardship from God That is by faith. In other words, just teach the simple truth of the scriptures. You don't have to be as dynamic as the world makes you think. Listen, there is so much technology, there are so many filters. As a matter of fact, one of the jokes that I have with our video team, every time I do a video, I say to them, can you please add hair in post-production? Can you please, at the end of this? And, and the fact of the matter is, is they could if they wanted to, right? Because we have so much technology to do so many things, but don't ever let those things cause you to drift. Hold tight. Hold tight to the gospel, the plain, powerful teaching of the gospel because it's not our eloquence, it's not how dynamic we are that causes life change. It is the truth that Christ has come, he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and over every square inch of created order, he declares mine. And there is only one way to salvation. So the invitation to humanity is to bow our knee and our heart and our will to him. And if we do, we will experience what it's like to be a part of the kingdom where there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here's my question to you. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Don't you want to experience the love and the grace of God? How many thank God that the gospel has come to us? That's good news. Then he tells them about the law, and he basically says to him, for all of those who have, uh, are in that certain person's category that has swerved from the gospel, this is why the law has come. The law has come to convince us of sin. The law has come to expose sin. And just in case you read this text wrong and you think that's right, God, get them, get all of those liars, get all of those cheaters, get all of those sexually immoral people, just in case you read it wrong, the right way to read the text, and Paul is gonna prove it to us in just a moment, is to say, and such was I. I'm in this category. Either you're a liar or a sinner. Either you are disobedient or ungodly. Either you are a violent person or sexually immoral. You pick it, but we are all in this text. So this isn't a text for us to get prideful, puffed up, haughty. That's why I say to you friends, we are not the assembly of the perfect. We are those who are convinced of our own failure and also convinced that what he did on Calvary is greater than what we did on earth and that salvation is found in him. Amen. Well, the second reason he tells us to hold on to the gospel is so sinners can be saved. And these next verses, I gotta tell you, are arguably the most beautiful in scripture, and that's a bold statement, but I think he'll prove it. Listen to what he says in verse number 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me, faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I'm convinced of two things, friends. I'm convinced that he called me to this. That he called me not to him, not only to himself, but he also called me to be an apostle. He called me to preach the gospel. I'm convinced of that, but I am also convinced that I am totally unworthy of that calling. He says, listen, he, he called me, but can you imagine Paul in his apostolic interview? Can you imagine Paul sitting before the other apostles and maybe Peter asks the question, this is all my mind, this is the way I work. That's why you don't want to read my tweet stream. But uh, he, he, can you imagine Peter saying, hey, uh, tell me three qualities that really make you qualify for this. And Paul looking up and saying, well, the only thing I got to my credit is that I used to be a blasphemer, persecutor, And oh yeah, I was also really a violent opponent of the gospel. Like, can you imagine them looking at each other like, does he know what job he's applying for? Like, James, did you not tell him what we were looking for? These are not the qualities that you would think would make an apostle. And what Paul is trying to convince you and me of is that I'm not here because of my resume. That, that salvation is not based off of you and I doing something so good that God is obligated to save us. That, that we're not, again, the assembly of those who are so impressive that God says, I need them on my team. Paul says, I brought nothing to the party. It was all, verse number 14, the grace of of our Lord overflowing to me. Like it, it's like when I think of the grace of God, it overwhelms me. And then to make the interview even worse, Paul says, you didn't ask me this, but, but let me just tell you a little bit more about myself. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm, I'm like the foremost. And, and I really believe He's not using hyperbole here. He's not using exaggeration. I believe that Paul felt this way about himself. And I'm so grateful that he did. Because there have been times in my life when I have felt this way about myself. And maybe you're sitting here today, and if you've never blown it that bad, then, then you can just check out for the next two or three minutes. But for those of us who have blown it, those of us who have looked back on our lives and see so many mistakes, so many hurt lives, those of us who can relate to what it feels to be the foremost of sinners. Paul says, I get it. I've been there. But he says, but but here's the thing that you guys need to know, that it's for that reason he saved me. So that in the foremost of sinners, in people who blow it the most, he could prove his perfect patience. He proves how great his grace, his love, and his mercy is not by saving pretty people. He proves how great his grace and mercy is by taking all of these people he just named from liars to cheaters to disobedient to homosexuals to the sexually immoral to enslavers and perjurers. He takes us so that he can prove that the excellency is of him and not of us. And Paul says, I'm sorry, I got to stop the interview because I got to give him some praise. And I told you last week, if you're reading the Bible right, there are going to be moments where you got to pause and have a praise break. And Paul does that in verse number 17. It's almost like he interrupts what he's talking about and he writes a hymn. It's a short hymn, but here's the hymn, here's the song to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, beyond and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's as if Paul says, I'm sorry, I love him. I'm sorry. If this interrupts the interview, you may not want me on your squad. You may not want me on your team, but I got to pause for just a moment, and I got to sing. And I just want you to know that this is the reason why we sing, and this is why every opportunity you get to sing, you got to sing. And you might say to me, well, you don't know me, Chris, I'm an introvert. I don't know if Paul was an extrovert, but I do know this. And I don't even know if he was a baritone, an alto, or a soprano. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is you can have whatever personality type you want outside of here. But when you're in here, we all got to sing. Because we all have been redeemed by the grace of God. So how many in here can lift up your voice and say hallelujah? Oh, no, that's not good enough. We're not at a tennis match. We're not at a golf tournament. We're in a church of the living God. How many can lift up your voice and say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Praise God that he saved me. Come on and give him praise, glory, and honor. And I'm over time, but let me just land the plane. Paul says the third reason... Uh, he, he wants us to know if he can save Paul, he can save anybody. Third reason, well, you got to hold on to the gospel so that your faith won't be shipwrecked, so that shipwrecks can be avoided. He says in verse number 18, this charge, he goes back to the charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, he says it's gonna be a fight to hold on to your faith. It's not gonna be easy. But hold on to those prophecies. Hold on, in other words, to the word of God. Now, I'm sure he's thinking about Timothy's ordination, his call to the ministry, maybe there were godly men or elders or uh, people who spoke over his life. Maybe at your baptism, you have people speak over your life or maybe at the point of your salvation. But he says, hold on to those promises and hold on to the word of God. Wage good war, that by them you may wage good warfare. Verse number 19, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them... Uh, Among whom, rather, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Notice what he just did. He says, Timothy, I've shown you some good examples, namely what Christ has done in me, and I got to tell you some bad examples of what it looks like when you let go of the gospel. And he goes from certain persons to Hymenaeus and Alexander. And even in our generation, there are people, churches, pastors that were prominent, thousands loved them, people followed them, but the church lost the gospel. And then it just blew up and exploded right in front of our eyes. Friends, when we lose the gospel, we've lost the power. I never want us to be a group of people that just get together because we like the same programs or we like the same preacher or we like the same singers. It's the gospel that's a secret ingredient to the church. So that's my message today. Hold on to the gospel. Leaders come and go. Hold on to the gospel. I keep calling it the secret ingredient. You know, if you've ever been a cook, and I, and I don't fancy myself as one, you know the danger of missing a key ingredient. I'll never forget the first time I tried to make a cake. I would seen others do it, so I thought I was an expert. You know, you watch it on TV, you know what you're doing, right? And uh, so I decided I was gonna bake a cake, and I put a lot of stuff in that bowl when I was mixing up, but I forgot one key ingredient, the eggs. And you laugh because you know. You forget the eggs, that thing ain't sticking together, right? You forget the gospel, and the church can't hold together. But if we don't let go of the gospel, we will be a people of love, of power, and of impact. Everybody stand today. I'm going to close us in prayer because of time. But maybe today is the day where you say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe today you say, I need to join the church It's a cold world out there. I believe that just like God gave Noah the ark for the flood, he's given us the church as an ark for the flood of craziness that's happening in our world. So I invite you, come to the front. There'll be leaders to talk to you. In room 179, we'll have all month long uh, a class called Next Steps for you to learn more. As well, you can stop by to connect us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Pray, Lord, that in us, the worst of sinners, that your grace would be so clear that other sinners might turn to you for salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.